As is often the case, I, uh, I like to do a little what I call the audience participation portion of the sermon. And, and today I'm going to do it right off the bat. I want to know, raise your hands. Sometimes we haven't quite got this, so I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up that we're going to ask you to raise your hand if a certain condition applies to you. And that gives me some feedback to let me know if we're all on the same page or not. So raise your hand if you are here. All right, there's a few stragglers. There's a few, few people that are not here. Go ahead and raise your hand again. Keep it up if you hate raising your hand in public. Okay, so, oh, now I'm getting some feedback. All right, so you've spoken and I have heard. Uh, One last time, raise your hand if you love to give gifts. How many of you just love to give gifts? There's quite a few of you, right? How many of you like to give yourself a gift when you're giving other people gifts? Yeah, there's a few honest people in the crowd, aren't they? You know, Dave Ramsey says that between 70 and 80% of the people that were polled admitted to giving themselves a gift when they went shopping for Christmas presents. You know, you see that thing and it's marked way down, it's Black Friday, and you know your wife's not going to buy you that TV, right? So you go ahead and buy yourself a little Christmas present. Well, I think we do that because we love to give gifts, don't we? I love to give gifts. And I remember when we were going through um, premarital counseling, and they talked to us about the five love languages, and there were different love languages, and one of them was giving and receiving gifts. And that's not real high on my, on my list, but it's pretty high on my wife's list. And so I took note of that and thought, well, I had to you know, get her flowers when I don't have a good reason to get her flowers. And I, as I've done that, I've kind of developed uh, a joy in the giving of a gift and seeing somebody's face light up and seeing maybe you give them something that's practical and useful and then a few weeks later you see them using it and there's joy that comes in that. So I think that's one of the reasons that we like to give gifts. Um, but today we're going to talk, talk about something that seems like we're giving a gift to somebody else, but as it turns out, we're really giving our gift to ourselves at the same time. If you have been paying attention, you know we're in a sermon series titled Getting Past Your Past. And today we're talking about giving forgiveness. And it seems when we give forgiveness to somebody else that we're letting them off the hook or we're giving a gift to them. But if you've ever experienced living with unforgiveness for a season of time where you were unwilling or unable to forgive somebody for a wrong that they had done to you or something that had happened in the past, and you finally get over that hump and you give forgiveness, you find out that it's really a gift that you give to yourself. So we're talking about both today, and this is progressive. If you've been here all three weeks, you're probably in the minority because we started this sermon series on April 8th, and and it was a snowstorm, and we had about half of what we normally have, but I was still impressed that we had as many people as we did. And then on the 15th, we had to cancel service, and last week we had a bunch of people, and this week we have a bunch of people. But if you miss a message, you really have to listen to it. You have to go to linwoodchurch.org slash media, download the message on a computer or go on your phone to a podcast app and find Linwood Church and listen to those because this is progressive. We started with a series, I'm sorry, we started the series with a message titled The Stewardship of Suffering and how when we change our perspective to God's perspective, our pain can be transformed into power to do his will. And last week we had a message titled Own It where we're going to look at our thing that we need to get past, that thing in our past that we need to get past, whether it was a broken relationship or a financial issue or we flunked out of college or, or we lost a job or whatever it was, we look at that thing. And remember, I asked you to draw a circle of blame and identify which part is your part. If you were here last week, you know that. If you weren't here, you got to go listen to that message, okay? And so we're picking up where we left off last week because last week we identified our part. And, and the bottom line last week was you make peace with your past 
when you own your piece of the past. Remember, if there's nothing to learn when there's someone to blame. If we can just put all the blame on somebody else, then there's not a lesson that we can learn and be different as a result of. Well, today we're working with the other part of the circle, the, their part of the circle. And, and we're taking our next step in getting past our past by forgiving them, whoever they are, of their part. And I want to give a word here. If, if you don't have something that immediately comes to mind with this series, don't check out and play Angry Birds on your phone or do something like that. All right? This is, this is, church is really supposed to be sort of like the huddle. If you've ever watched football, they have a play, and then they have a huddle, and they figure out what they're going to do next, and then they have a play, and they have a huddle. And sometimes somebody's getting the ball, and they're going to do something in that play, and other times people are blocking or they're, 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 they're figuring out. And if this doesn't immediately apply to you, pay attention and ask God, who is this for if it's not for me? Now, it probably is for you in some way or another, but there might be somebody in your life that you're going to be able to share this with next week if you pay attention and are prayerful and ask God to show me. I was talking to another pastor, and he was saying, well, I have a trouble with a, a preaching about marriage because I know some of the people in my church aren't married. And I said, yeah, but they know people who are married, don't they? Right? And I think sometimes we reinforce this consumer mentality in church by saying that there has to be a little something for everybody. Well, maybe there doesn't. Maybe there's something for you to give to somebody else who's not here. And so pay attention. Take notes. Learn this stuff. Bring this stuff into who you are so that you have something to share. When you're inviting somebody to church and you say, well, why, why would I go to church? You can tell them why. You can say, well, we're in the middle of this series, getting past your past. And we're talking about the stewardship of our suffering and how when we own our piece of the past, we can make peace with the past. And, and then we're talking about forgiveness this past week. And just to give you a look ahead, I'm really excited about the way this series is going to kind of come to fruition. Originally, we were going to end the series next week. But since we skipped a week, we're going to push that out. And we're going to end this series on Mother's Day. The next two messages are going to be a little bit more proactive. Now, as you've, as you've owned your piece of the past, if you steward your pain and you're giving forgiveness, now how do, we, how do we make sure next time isn't like the last time? How do we become proactive going into the future so we don't keep repeating the same mistakes? And I'm really excited. On Mother's Day, one of our gifts that we're going to give to you ladies out there as we celebrate women and we celebrate the contribution that they've made to our lives is we're going to put together a men's choir and we're going to have men lead us in worship as a gift to, to you ladies. So that means that if you're a man and you can reasonably sing at all, we need you. We need you to contact uh, Stephanie this week and let her know that. We'll probably try to put together one rehearsal to get as many of you as possible. You don't have to be able to sing parts and harmonies. If you can, we'll probably put you on a mic and let you kind of carry the rest of us. But uh, if you can possibly sing, please, men, let us know so that we can put together a good group. And if it's a smaller group, we'll call it an ensemble. And if it's a big group, we'll call it a choir. And uh, either way, we're going to be blessed. And I uh, hope that you'll be a part of that if you can carry a tune at all, which I cannot. Um, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want me to, uh, to throw my voice out completely and not be able to preach. So, um, so I will be cheering you on, guys, from right down there. All right. So that kind of outlines the rest of the series, gives you an idea where we're going. Today we're going to be looking at an Old Testament story that really captures the essence of forgiveness. And it does it over and over 
and over. And that's why I chose it today. It's the story of Joseph, and um, it's probably one of the clearest examples of the power of forgiveness and the power of staying in the game and figuring out how to get past your past and not letting the things that have happened to you define you, but rather to develop you. We've mentioned this phrase in each of the weeks of this series that things happen to us so that God can work in us, so that God can work through us. And we see that evident in Joseph's life in a ways that we, we just cannot mistake. That things happen to Joseph that he never would have chosen for himself. But because he stays in the game, because he stays in relationship with God, God's able to work in him in powerful ways. And eventually God is able to work through him in miraculous ways. And the same is true. If you're going through a really difficult season right now, I want to encourage you that if you'll stay in the game, stay in relationship with God, and keep bringing Bringing your pain to him and allowing him to transform it into power as he gives you his perspective that he will begin to work in you and eventually work through you to bless others. And we see that in Joseph's life. If you're not familiar with this story, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob, who was later changed his name to Israel by God. When God changes your name, you go with that. You change the business cards and the letterhead and everything else. So, He changed his name to Israel, but he was born Jacob, and he had 12 sons. And the thing that was unique about his last two sons is that they were the first sons that were born to him by the love of his life, Rachel. And so Joseph is that first son. So he's got 10, but he he finally has a child with, with the love of his life, Rachel, and he favored that child. And Joseph quickly became his favorite child, and he gave him an amazing Technicolor dream coat, as Broadway would tell us. And uh, he, he definitely he invested himself in him. And it's no wonder that, that Joseph turned out differently than his brothers because they got more of the investment of their dad in Joseph than his brothers did. But this created a lot of strife in the family. And eventually, Joseph's coming out to bring them provisions. They see him coming, and they have a conversation that goes kind of like this. Are we going to kill him, or are we going to sell him? Are we going to kill him, or are we going to sell him? And fortunately, the cooler heads prevail, and they decide to sell Joseph into slavery. And he makes his way into Egypt, and, and he could have checked out right then and just be, been done and said, something happened to me that I didn't like, and so I'm done. I'm, I'm not playing the game anymore. But he stayed in the game. He stayed in relationship with God. And eventually he rose in power in, in the house of Potiphar, and he was second in command in that house. But something else happened to him, and he was falsely accused and ended up in prison. And he could have checked out right there, but again, he didn't. He stayed in the game. He stayed in relationship with God. And eventually, he was, he was in charge of the prison. And he finds an audience with Pharaoh, and he's able to interpret a dream. And Pharaoh puts him in second command in Egypt over the whole. Egypt was the world at that point. So he's the second most powerful person in the world because he stayed in the game. He stayed in the game. And so he can inspire us. And I believe he had to forgive over and over. And he illustrates This truth that things happen to us so that God can work in us, so that God can work through us. So as we make our way into this Bible passage, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 50. This is at the very end. The story of Joseph actually starts in Genesis 37. And if you wanted to read that this week, I think you'd love it. And I think you would see God's word come to life in a new way. So I'd encourage you to do that. We're going to go in Genesis chapter 50. It's on page 85 in your, in your Bibles there in the pews. And while you're turning there, I just want to say thank you 
to our trustees and the other people that they um, rounded up to come and spread mulch and trim things up and make the church look like it's ready for spring to be here. I, I was going to come out and say hi to them yesterday. I came to the church and they were already gone by the time I got done. But uh, they, they represent something that happened. If you were here last week and you came this week, it looked a lot different. And that didn't just magically happen. People took responsibility for an area and it, and it, got improved. And we see that every single week. And there are so many people that there are too many to mention, too many to name, but there are so many people that are involved in the services and the programs that take place here at Linwood on a weekly basis. And if you serve, if you contribute, if you give, whether it's weekly or monthly, thank you. Thank you. We couldn't do what we do here on a regular basis without you. So thank you. All right. So Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Now, I don't know if Joseph really, or if Jacob really told them, to do that, okay? It's possible that they were just afraid, and so they concocted this little scheme. We know from their past that they were morally flexible, to say the least. So um, it's possible that, that Jacob didn't really instruct them to do this. But Joseph's response is interesting, and it's what I want to pay attention to. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. So his brothers came and threw themselves down before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. At verse 20 is one that you see on a lot of plaques and you see on a lot of art and you see in, in various places because it shows the change that has taken place in Joseph's heart. And it's a complete. It's not that he's just honoring his father by not killing his brothers or selling them away into slavery. It's that he has truly been transformed. He has taken on the divine perspective. You intended this to harm me, but God intended it for good. And he allowed that perspective to transform his pain into power in order to act according to God's will and God's way. And he represents our bottom line today. And the bottom line, which is that thing that we talk about every week, if you doze off, if you drift off, if you get a text message and you're writing it back and you hear the words bottom line, pay attention because this is the one thing you got to get to make it worth coming to church, right? This is, this is the essence. It's the message in a nutshell. And the bottom line is that unforgiveness is a prison cell that only unlocks from the inside. And Joseph, who had experience with prison cells, he had experience with literal prison cells, he had experience with being sold into slavery, he understood this and realized that unforgiveness is a prison cell that only unlocks from the inside. Nobody can bust you out of unforgiveness. Only God, transforming your pain into power, can change that and allow you to unlock that prison cell from the inside. As I said in the first week, you can become bitter or you can become better. You can allow your pain to define you and your past to define you, or you can allow it to develop you. And you can allow God to begin to work within you to accomplish his will in your life. Another quote that I love on unforgiveness is that unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's just not going to happen. 
And yet we do that. We, we think that we're holding that grudge and that we're holding something over them. And in some cases, that is the case. If the relationship is really close and they know you're still mad, then it's hurting both of you. But so many times in my life when I've gotten hung up and I've, I've harbored unforgiveness and I've held on to a fence longer than I should, it hasn't had an impact on the other person at all. And when I finally do go and, and extend forgiveness, they're like, what are you even talking about? I don't, I don't even remember what the, the circumstance that you're, that you're talking about. It was hurting me much more than it was hurting them. And that's so often the case. And Joseph also represents Jesus to us in a really powerful way that I know I've probably heard about in seminary, but it came alive to me this week as I, as I thought about this passage where his brothers come back to him and with Easter in the tomb in, the, in my mind as I've been forcing myself to remember the resurrection and remember the power of the resurrection well beyond Easter. I remember Jesus' some of his last words were, Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. And in that moment, he's forgiving his brothers and sisters in humanity, in his human form. And we see Joseph doing the same as he forgives his brothers. He's a a type for Christ in that regard. But Jesus also spoke really strongly about forgiveness, didn't he? You know, we all heard the Lord's Prayer, and we probably memorized the Lord's Prayer, and it says, forgive us our sins, or forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But a little less memorized verse that is just as powerful comes at the end of that of that prayer as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 and 15 right at the end of the Lord's prayer he follows it up with this teaching on forgiveness where he says if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive you your sins And if we're holding on to unforgiveness, those verses need to hit us right in the eye and say, this is really important. It's really important to God. It's really important to Jesus. And I think it shows us that we don't realize how much we've been forgiven by God, to whom we are all ultimately accountable to, if we are unwilling to extend forgiveness to others as well. And that's why Jesus teaches on this the way he does. Paul also spoke a lot about forgiveness, and one of my favorite passages on forgiveness, the one that kind of rings my bell when I'm struggling with forgiveness, is Colossians 3.13, where he says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, I want to edit that last little phrase out of my Bible. I want to just kind of forgive partially or forgive, you know, at the surface level. But that's not how God forgave me. That's not how Jesus forgave me. Jesus forgave me completely and totally. And and he sought to reconcile the relationship. He sought to, to mend the fences. He sought to make us whole again. And that's the same level of forgiveness that we are called to. Bottom line today, unforgiveness is a prison cell that only unlocks from the inside. So let's talk a little bit about three areas where you might need to forgive in your life. If nothing has already come to mind, this, these might give you some triggers or some, help you dig a little deeper with forgiveness. Down in the South, uh, they say forgiven people are forgiven people. That if you've been forgiven, then you're going to be forgiven. Be forgiving. Sorry, forgiving. I just roll that G right off of there like they do in the South. When we were in West Virginia, they'd say forgiven people are forgiven people. That if you've been forgiven, you are forgiving. And this is a principle that we can see played out in three different areas. The first area is others who may have hurt you or wronged you or failed you or betrayed you or neglected you in some way. 
And as I was thinking about this, one instance in particular came to mind from my past, one that I held on to for a while and kind of wrestled with and, and held on to the offense and held on to the unforgiveness. You see, when I was, when I was selling insurance, I had a manager who, um, who said he was a Christian, but he, he left a lot of room for interpretation on, on what it meant to be a Christian with his language and the things he talked about and, and the way he lived his life. And I remember when I felt God calling us into ministry, I wrote my letter of resignation, and I brought it to him, and he went ballistic on me. I've never been chewed out or, or assaulted, verbally assaulted in public like this. And it was right in the middle of the office, and people were around there, and he was just livid. Because somewhere he'd gotten the idea that I was going to stay on through the end of the year. And if I stayed on through the end of the year, then he as a manager gets credit for my production. But if I leave mid-year, he gets no credit for my production. And he made this very clear to me. And I said, Ron, I'm not having that good of a year. We're not, we're not talking about that much money, right? I had several big things in the, in the hopper that maybe he thought were going to come to pass. I don't know. But he was of the opinion that every dime counts and that I was robbing him. I was taking from him as I... So, you know, as I submitted this letter of resignation, I tried to explain to him, look, they're on the verge of a big building project. I'm called. I'm going to seminary. I'm, they need me. And he, he just said, no, they don't need you. They're just using you. You're never going to preach in that church. You're not called to ministry. I and mean, he just went on down the list. And uh, it really got under my skin, to say the, late, the least. And from that point forward, every time the subject of forgiveness came up, whether it was in Scripture or in a sermon or a teaching, he would come to mind. And I would try to forgive him, and I would pray to forgive him, but I would always step short of communicating that to him in some way because I just wanted nothing to do with him. And if you have any doubt that God has a sense of humor, I had to drive by Ron's house on my way to church where I had been called into ministry two or three times every single day. And I would sometimes, you know, try to put my hand out and pray a little prayer. Sometimes I say, darn right, I'm going to pray for him. I pray he gets hemorrhoids and flat tires and that, you know, bad things happen to him. I didn't want to do anything bad to him. I just, I just wanted bad things to happen. I was, I had, this was deep. This was really deep. It was like he questioned my calling, he questioned my character, all in this one little thing. And then I remember when we moved into West Virginia where I had been called to be a senior pastor. And this is after I had preached dozens of sermons at that church and I had been affirmed in that calling and, and had progressed up and had finished seminary and been ordained and all of these things. And we're living in a hotel because we had to live in a hotel for 40 days before we got into, um, into something like a home in there. And I remember that coming to mind. And at that point, I was finally ready to lay it down. And I said... I don't want to carry this unforgiveness. I don't want to carry this offense into the next chapter of my life. And I got out my computer and I wrote him an email. And I know he had that email address because he was still in that position. I knew, every, I knew that email address and I knew because it was securities were involved that every customer complaint would have to make its way through. It wasn't a complaint, but I just knew he was going to see the email. It wasn't going to go to spam. It wasn't going to go to junk mail. I knew he was going to see it. And I wrote him an apology for holding the unforgiveness for so long and an apology for the part that I had played in that and released him from all offense. And a funny thing happened. A message came on forgiveness, and I didn't think about Ron. And another one came. And it wasn't until I was preaching a message on forgiveness at some point, about two years later, that I remembered that. And that's the power of unforgiveness, that it opens from, it's a cell that opens from the inside. And once we walk through it, we don't have to go back to it. So I want to encourage you, if there are others who have hurt you or failed you or betrayed you or neglected you in some way, to begin the process today. It is a process. It doesn't happen. It's not an event where you say, okay, I forgive them. Boom, we're done. 
In fact, I have found that the amount of emotional distress that's involved in the hurt that you're forgiving corresponds to the amount of emotion that will go into the process of forgiving them. And it may start by just being willing, praying that prayer, and then you start to journal about it. Maybe you write a letter that you don't send. You just write it to get it out, to get the anger, to get the the frustration out. And you can be specific in these things. And eventually, over a period of time, God will bring you to a place where you're willing and you're ready to go and to, to extend forgiveness and to communicate that forgiveness. The second area is you might need to forgive yourself. You might need to give your, forgive yourself for your own failures and your own shortcomings and your own hang-ups. I think we see this in the text with Joseph's brothers. It's been years since Joseph has forgiven them, and they think as soon as their dad is dead, now he's going to get us. And I think that part of that is because they hadn't forgiven themselves. And even when they come to him and they throw themselves at his feet and say, we are your slaves, it's almost like they're saying, yeah, we sold you into slavery, and now we're going to make amends by selling ourselves into slavery to you. But Joseph says, no, I'm not in the place of God. He's worked it all out for good. You don't need to do that. But there may be some people in here today that need to forgive themselves for their own shortcomings or their own failures. And if that's speaking to you, that's, that's something you do through prayer and through journaling and maybe through a trusted friend or a counselor. And you have a conversation, you say, I think I've, I've actually failed to forgive myself for this thing that I did. And I want freedom for that. Will you pray with me through that? Will you help me to, to overcome that? The final area where you may need to give forgiveness is to God for not measuring up to your expectations, for not living up to what you had expected, what it meant to follow him. I had to do this a number of times in my life where I thought that if I lived a certain way, then God would reward that living in certain ways. And that's religion. That's not relationship. That's a transactional view of God rather than a transformational view of God. And I realized that, that I would find myself praying prayers like, God, I did this and this and this and this and this, and you did this? You let this happen? How is that possible? How is that right? How is that fair? And I'd slipped into religion. I'd slipped into a transactional view of God. I started to view him as a landlord, like I'm going to pay the rent and I'm going to pay the utilities and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And you're going to do your part. You're going to fix the furnace when it breaks. And you're going to pay the taxes so they don't come board the place up. And you're going to do your part. And it's all about transactions rather than a transformational relationship with God where we say, you have forgiven me for everything I have ever done. You have sealed my eternity with you in heaven. You have, I can never repay you for what you have done for me on my behalf. Now then, how can I live to you? You don't owe me anything. I owe you everything. That's the transformational love of God at work in our lives. And yet we so quickly kind of begin to view our heavenly father like a a landlord where we meet our list of obligations and he has to meet his list of obligations. But I I would remind you, even with God, that unforgiveness is a prison cell that only unlocks from the inside. You hold the key. And as I said earlier, it's a process. It's not an event. And it may take some time. And it may require you to dig in with some people that can help you through that or to to spend some time in prayer and journaling before you're ready to, to take that step. But it will only begin when you start the process. So I would encourage you to do that. Another area I just want to touch on briefly is you might 
you might need to seek or receive forgiveness from somebody else. Maybe that's where God's dealing with you on this message. And maybe the gift that you're going to give is you're going to open the door for somebody that you've wronged. Maybe when you drew the circle of blame, you found out your part was more like the 75 or 80%. And you realize, I need to go. Time and perspective have changed my view of things, and I need to be the one that initiates reconciliation or that builds a bridge where one got burned down. And so if that's the case, you make amends once you own your part. You give the gift of an apology, and you extend the olive branch, so to speak. And I saw this lived out recently in our Linwood family, and it was such a beautiful thing to behold. As somebody in humility approached and said, I just want to reconcile. I just want to, I want to be reconciled if we possibly can. I know some things happened and some things were said, and right now there's a breach in our relationship, but I want to learn what I can from this. I want to apologize for anything that I did that offended you. And there was this beautiful meeting and this beautiful mingling of, of hearts as as. All the junk got wiped away, and both sides were able to say, you know what, I'm sorry for my part. Will you forgive me? And then there was reconciliation. It was a wonderful thing. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, um, so there's three elements of a sincere apology, because I think there's a lot of rotten apologies today. And you see these on television as you watch people interact, or you see them in the movies, and we just pick them up. And we think that saying to somebody, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, is an apology. But that's not an apology, is it? How many of you want somebody to come to you and say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way? That's not an apology. This is an apology. Apology has three parts. The first part is, I'm sorry that I. So maybe it's, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. Or I'm sorry that I failed you. Or I'm sorry that I betrayed your trust. Or I'm sorry that I. And we see our part of it, and we acknowledge that, and we take part of it. We, we say, it was my fault. That's the second part of a sincere apology, that we own our piece of that and say, I'm sorry that I... It was my fault. We don't make excuses. We don't blame it on circumstances. We own our part of it. And then we say, what can I do to make it right? Now, they may not want you to make it right. Maybe that's not really relevant. But if we will come to people and we'll say, I'm sorry that I, and you fill in the blank, it was my fault. Now, what can I do to make it right? That feels totally different, doesn't it, than somebody coming and saying, well, I'm sorry you got upset. I'm sorry you were offended. I didn't mean to offend you. So it's actually your fault that we have this relational breach because you got offended when I didn't mean to offend you. So why don't you apologize to me for getting offended when I didn't mean to? No, that's not an apology, right? We take ownership of our peace. We own that. And then we say, what can I do to make it right? And keep in mind, if you do this, their response is up to them. It's not up to you. You're not responsible for their response. They are. But if we'll come to them and we'll humble ourselves... Then we'll find that unforgiveness is a prison cell that only unlocks from the inside. Maybe you need to reach through and give them the key and say, now you can forgive me because I have apologized for my part. And we can be reconciled and we can move forward without this. So as we finish up today, I want to just encourage you to take a step, an important step in getting past your past by giving forgiveness to somebody else. By extending that forgiveness either to to somebody else or to yourself or to, to God for not measuring up to the way that you expected him. You can unlock a cell today. You can unlock your own cell of unforgiveness, or you can kind of reach through the key, make a sincere apology to somebody, and hand them the key. What they choose to do with it is up to them. But I think the story of Joseph 
illustrates to us very powerfully that God can be trusted to do his part. And we can be accountable to him to do our part. What people do with their part is up to them, and we're not in control of that. But God's going to do his part. He asks us to do our part. And that's as far as it can go. So seek forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. We're going to finish by celebrating God's grace today. We're going to sing about God's grace. God's grace is what enables us to be forgiven, and it's that grace that we receive that enables us to forgive others. And so as we sing this closing song, and as we celebrate that, I encourage you to respond in faith to what you've heard today. I encourage you to be forgiven today, maybe from God. Maybe you recognize that we're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ in here, and you see very clearly, I don't have that. I'm still in that transactional mode where I think if I do this and this and this, then God's going to do his part. And yet the gospel, the beauty is that you can never do enough to earn your salvation. You can never do enough to wipe the slate clean for all the times that you failed. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, carrying our sin to the cross and letting it be nailed to the cross in order that we might be able to receive his grace. And so today's a day where you receive that forgiveness. Or maybe today's a day where you become forgiven. Or you forgive somebody else for the offense that they have against you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for ancient texts that teach us about how we can learn and grow and how we can become more like you. We thank you for the example of Joseph. We thank you for the way he points to Jesus and his miraculous forgiveness of us. We thank you for the invitation that you give us to walk out of a prison cell of unforgiveness today and to walk into freedom and new life. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts, that we will respond in faith. Now we celebrate your grace to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.